Would you join me in praying as we come to the word this morning? Lord Jesus, we ask as always that you would come and speak to the hearts of your people. Lord, may this not just be words that I've come up with. May this not just be something we do on a Sunday morning. But I pray during this time that we have an encounter with the risen Christ. As you bring, as your word says, your, your word to life in our midst. Your word is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. So come, Lord. Speak to your people and do your work this morning. May I decrease and you increase. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to begin, uh, we're talking about the Sermon on the Mount. We actually have two more weeks, this week and one more, uh, talking about the Sermon on the Mount. We've been talking about it for about three months now, something like that. For some of you, it feels longer. Uh, but I want to recap and kind of touch on where we've been before we move forward. And, and the reason I want to do this is it's so important to remember to read Scripture in context. Context means what came before it and what comes after it. The, the, the teachings that we're going to look at today were not something that Jesus just taught in a vacuum and somebody kind of, you know, hand-picked some of these teachings and put them together. This is one continuous teaching that Jesus was giving. And so the way that it works is what he said before influences what he's going to say, what we're going to look at this week, which influences what he's going to say next week. And so it's so important to read scripture in context, to not just take this teaching and this teaching and, and just read them by themselves, but in the context of what Jesus had been saying. And so the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, uh, he had been traveling around town to town, village to village. He had been healing the sick and casting out demons and working miracles that people, they were just like, their minds were blown. And then he had this one phrase that he would continue to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And then he would leave, and he would go to the next place. And he would work miracles, and he would tell them, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And so he just traveled town to town, village to village, until eventually so many people came and kind of stopped him and went, What is this kingdom? Like, you keep saying, Repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. What does that mean? What is this kingdom? And so finally Jesus gathers everyone up, sits them down and says, let me explain to you what the kingdom of heaven is. And he starts with the Beatitudes, telling him, here's the kind of people the king is looking for and the kingdom is looking to create. Those that are meek and gentle and humble, those who are servants. It, it was the complete opposite of what a earthly kingdom would have been looking for. They would have been looking for the strong, the gifted, the talented. But this king was going, I'm looking for those who are humble, and meek, those who are gentle. So already the people were kind of going, wait, what is this? And then Jesus kept driving home this point. This kingdom that I'm talking about is a kingdom of the heart. The king is after your heart, not just your obedience, but your heart. And so he goes through all of the, you've heard it said, but I tell you passages. Look, you've heard it said, don't murder, but in this new kingdom, that's not good enough. Don't even hold anger towards your brother or sister in your heart. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery, but no, 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 no. Don't even lust after things that aren't yours in your heart. You've heard it said, don't lie, but I'm telling you that instead you are to be people of the truth, salt and light. And so he just keeps driving things deeper. This kingdom is a kingdom of the heart. And then two weeks ago, we looked where Jesus, as the people were starting to get overwhelmed by like, oh my goodness, this is so much deeper than anything we thought we were going to find. And he encourages them by going, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Do you guys remember this? Ask, seek, and knock. Why? Because you have a good father who is waiting to answer. You have a good father who wants to be found, who is waiting to open the door and invite you in. We looked at this and said, to, to seek the kingdom is to seek the king himself. We have this very personal God, this good father who is at the heart of the kingdom. And to seek him is to find the kingdom. So Jesus was encouraging the people, I know this is a lot, but keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, keep coming. The king wants to be found by you when you seek him. 
And so we find ourselves then, as Jesus is wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. He tells them, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. So Jesus is, is speaking to a crowd of people who are seeking the kingdom. The reason they're there is because they're going, we want what you have. We want what you're talking about, but how do we find it? How do we get it? They're, they're essentially there almost asking for directions to this kingdom. Have any of you ever been in, in a new place and you have to ask someone for directions? How, how many of you are from Elkins originally? Show of hands. How many of you are transplants like myself? Depending on when you were transplanted, we came before Google Maps was really a thing. And so we were very dependent on people for directions. We would get invited to something, we would have an appointment somewhere, and so we would come to people, well-meaning, good, godly people, and say, hey, how do I get there? And they would say things like this. Will you go past the old high school? Some of you are laughing, because you know. And I would say, old high school, I haven't seen that. What, what does that look like? And they would say, oh, they tore it down years ago. <laughs> then why are we using it as a landmark? It's, it's not helpful. And when, when someone gives you directions, they give you landmarks to look out for. They say, you go to this intersection, and there's going to be a church on the left. That's where you make the turn. And then you're going to go, and there's going to be a fork in the road. Make sure you stay to the left. And then here's what the destination looks like. It's a, it's a brick house with a white door, whatever it might be. They're going to give you landmarks to look for as you travel the path. That's how we give directions to one another. And this is how Jesus was speaking to these people. He was telling them, look, as you seek the kingdom, he painted a picture for them. You're going to find a fork in the road. On one side is going to be this very narrow gate. And beyond it is going to be this road that looks hard to travel. On the other side is going to be this very wide gate, and it's going to be super easy to walk, well paved, and you're going to find a bunch of people on it. But he said, be careful when you come to this fork in the road, the narrow gate, the difficult road, that's the road to the kingdom. The road that, that is, the gate is wide and the path is broad and flat and smooth and easy to walk, that is actually the path that leads to destruction. All of us will come to this fork in the road where we have to choose, am I going to seek the kingdom or go with the flow? Am I going to choose the difficult path of becoming a Christian, of following after Jesus, or the easy path of just doing whatever comes naturally to me, seeking whatever just seems good in the moment. Because Jesus is warning them, he wants them to know that path leads to destruction. There is no hope down the easy path. You will have all kinds of people walking it with you and encouraging you, going, hey, isn't this great? Good thing we chose this path. But Jesus warns them at the end is destruction. He says that the, the path that leads to the kingdom, that leads to life, is a difficult road and only few find it. And listen, that only few find it doesn't mean it's obscured and, you know, like it's, you, you have to like bushwhack to get to it. He's saying very few will even choose to look for it. So naturally, when we come to that fork in the road, we just go, well, this seems easier. And we walk down without even thinking. But Jesus says, to follow me is to enter the narrow gate. To have the courage to even look for it. Very few find it because very few have the courage to actually walk through the gate. Because it's difficult. It's narrow. There's not a whole lot of people on that path. It's not the cool thing to do. It's not the easy thing to do. And Jesus knows very few will find it because very few will choose to find it. Here's something that I love about Jesus. I don't know where you are in your relationship with Jesus and, and your understanding of him, but here's something I love about Jesus. He refused to bait and switch people. He refused to tell them, it's going to be easy and it's going to be great and everyone's going to applaud you. Like 
He refused to do it. In Luke chapter 14, there's a story where Jesus is talking again about the kingdom, and there's people who are interested in it. And instead of just Jesus going, yeah, here, just sign up on the dotted line, he says, before you do, count the cost. I want you to know that there's a cost involved, and it's foolishness to jump in without first knowing what you're jumping into. And so he, he uses a couple examples. He says, it's like a man who's, who's building a tower. I don't know why somebody would just build a tower. They need to see a ways off, whatever it is, but would build this big, noticeable structure in the middle of town, but they didn't count the cost first, and they ran out of money halfway through. So now there's just big, noticeable, unfinished building in the middle of town, and every time people come up and they go, what happened? He didn't even check to see if he had enough money before he started. He just started building. They would, they would literally say, what an idiot. Who would do that? Jesus says, count the cost. When you come to that intersection, count the cost. He, another way he says it is like, so it's like a king who sees an army coming from a ways off. And it's a massive army coming at him. He said it would be absolute foolishness to just gather up his army and run out there. He says the first thing he does is, well, how many men do they have? And how many men do we have? Do we have any hope of victory? If not, he says, send a delegation for peace. Do the wise thing. And it sounds like, Jesus, are you trying to like talk people out of being a part of the kingdom? And I think what he's saying is easy believism. This, yeah, it's simple, just jump in, has no place in the kingdom. It's a narrow gate. It's a difficult road. And Jesus was telling us this on the front end. He didn't like get a whole bunch of people to follow him and go, okay, now that you're here, let me tell you how difficult it's going to be. He wanted them to know, count the cost. What he's calling us to is difficult. So let me ask you this. Let's, let's talk for a little bit here. What does it look like to walk the narrow road? Jesus says it's difficult, narrow gate, difficult path. What does it actually look like? Some of you have been doing this far longer than I have to walk the narrow road. Discipline. Discipline. That's a fun word. I'll tell you what, that'll sell books right there. We don't like discipline. What's it look like? You can get practical. We can have just kind of some themes, whatever it is. Jesus makes it very clear Christianity is an exclusive religion. And what that means is this. There, like Tim had said, there are some who say all roads lead to the same destination. You want to choose Hinduism, you want to choose uh, Islam, whatever it is, hey, they're, they're all leading to the same place. Jesus pushes back and goes, nope, there is one path, only one. Every other path leads to destruction. He's, like Tim was saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Anyone who comes to the Father comes through me. That's it. Okay, so it's an exclusive. It, listen, and this is hard in today's day and age. In some ways, it's a narrow-minded view. And that seems like that's such a sin to be narrow-minded, but it's there is one way to the Father. There is one way into the kingdom, and it's the way Jesus is calling us to. So what else? What does it look like to walk the narrow road? What's that? Yeah. Sometimes it's lonely. It's, again, it's not the popular path. It's not the one he doesn't say, and many take it. Few find it. And sometimes in your work, in your family, in your neighborhood, it can be lonely because no one else is living this way. No one else is walking this path, and it can be very lonely. Hard to do. Yeah, just plain tough. We have to do things that aren't natural, things that don't come naturally to us, or we have to steer clear of things that sometimes do come very naturally to us. Yeah, back. All the 
back, back to the Beatitudes where we started the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says things like, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, which means want something they don't yet have. Like, those are the people who are blessed in the kingdom. And he, again, from the very beginning, he's going, it's not natural. It's difficult. What else? Any other thoughts? What does it look like to walk the narrow road? There will definitely be a cycle of failure and sin. Like, man, as I was walking this difficult road, guess what? I tripped and fell right on my face. But then the grace of God comes to me, and I get back up, and I continue to walk. And I fall on my face again, and I receive the grace of God for my failures. I repent of my sins, and I receive forgiveness, and I continue down the narrow road again. If at any point in this you're hearing, once you make that turn down the narrow path, like, don't worry, you're set. It's, it becomes easy somehow. You become perfect and never, like, garbage. There is a continual need for grace. In fact, the further down the narrow road you get, the more you recognize your dependence on the grace of God and the more you recognize just how big his grace is. To walk the narrow road looks like sacrifice, giving up the things that come natural, the things that everyone else gets to do. It looks like death to self. Jesus says this in Luke 14, 27, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own instrument of suffering and death, death to self, cannot be my disciple. To walk the narrow road looks like death to my own ambition, to the things that I want, to the things that I have a right to, dying to those things, and instead choosing the Lord's way, which looks like those beatitudes, humility and meekness and gentleness, refusing to strike back when I'm struck, those kinds of things. So here's the, the, the first warning I think that Jesus is trying to communicate. There will always be opportunities to take the easy road. If, if you hear that like, hey, don't worry, there's just this one fork and once you choose the narrow path, don't worry. I, I signed the card. I, I prayed a prayer. I was even baptized. Now I can just kind of do whatever. Like, There will always be off ramps back over to the easy road. To choose to walk the narrow path is to continue to choose to walk the narrow path. Does that make sense? There will always be opportunities to take the easy road. And Jesus is warning his would-be followers, count the cost and know that it's not just a one-time difficult decision and now you're bound to it, no other choice. Like, you have to continue to choose the difficult path. You have to continue to choose to die to self, to sacrifice, but in the belief that there is life down that path that the easy road could never offer us. And for those of us who have walked a ways down the narrow path, we will tell you there is life along the path. But here's the way that things work in the kingdom. Life comes after death. The kingdom, we're told in the scriptures, is a kingdom of resurrection. We want all the resurrection power with none of the death. And, and that is not what we have been offered. Philippians 3.10, I don't have it on the wall here. One of my favorite passages, we love the first part. It says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And we would say, amen, right? But then it says, becoming like him in his death, sharing with him in the fellowship of his sufferings, so that somehow I might attain resurrection. To walk the narrow path, listen, in many ways it's a path of death, dying to self. But what we find on the other side is resurrection power, and life that is better than anything we knew before. And I'm not just talking about at the end one day when you die. I'm talking about here in this life. But it comes after the difficulty. This is encouraging, right? It should be, because a lot of people feel like death. Like, they might be sitting here feeling like, my life is not life. It feels like death right now. So there is a lot of encouragement. Most of us know people who are walking the wide path, the easy path, 
guess what? Anxiety, depression, self-harm, addiction. Why do you think all of these things are on the rise? The easy path doesn't work. It isn't giving people what they thought they were signing up for. It is giving them destruction. One day, final destruction, which breaks my heart. But even in this life, it is not living up to its promises. But the narrow road does. And some of you are having to take my word for this right now because you're still trying to figure out, are you in, are you out? All I can do is tell you my own story. And it is a difficult road, but it is the only road I've ever found life on. True life. So enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road, I love it though, that leads to life. And only few find it. He goes on to say, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit. But a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, so you'll recognize them by their fruit. We all need guides along the path to show us the way. We all need people who are a few steps further down the path who can kind of help pull us through some of the difficult things. And listen, Jesus knew this. God has actually provided guides for us. The prophets back in the Old Testament were those that stood and said, thus says the Lord, here is what the Lord desires for you. Here is what the Lord says stay away from, and here is what the Lord is calling you toward. They were guides along this path. But Jesus says, but be careful, because they will also be false prophets. Wolves in sheep's clothing. So the first warning was this, there will always be opportunities to take the easy road. The second one, there will always be people to lead you back to the easy road. There will always be people that tell you it shouldn't be this hard. Just take the easy way out or whatever it may be. But Jesus says, watch their fruit. Watch the fruit of their lives. Don't follow the leadership of those that bear bad fruit. So let's, let's get specific with this. What kind of fruit should we be avoiding? Jesus says you'll know them by their fruit. You'll know whether it's a good tree or a bad tree when you look at the fruit. What kind of fruit should we be avoiding in those that might be offering us a hand up in the path? Those that would stand up here and teach or write books or come alongside and give advice, whatever it may be, what kind of fruit should we be avoiding? Okay, so she's talking about the prioritization of, is God the priority in that person's life, or is there these other things, and God is somewhere in the list, but not where he should be, okay? What's some, other, some bad fruit? False preachers. False preachers, that's, I think, another word for the same thing, but how do we recognize them? What is the fruit that we should be avoiding? Okay, lifestyle of immorality. It's good. How can we flesh that out? What does that look like? Okay, self-serving. Those that are kind of promoting themselves. Okay. If we don't know the bad fruit, we are really going to struggle with wolves in sheep's clothing here. Okay. Listen, you can build 
a, a pretty big platform by telling people everything should be easy. God just wants you to be comfortable, that kind of thing. You can build a really big platform. Listen, this, this frustrates me to no end within the church by teaching people to hate other people. There are, there are many churches that are built solely on the fact of we hate them and we think Jesus hates them too. You won't find that in the scripture, but people follow it because it feels good. It's easy to follow because hatred is natural. Hatred makes me feel good because you're terrible. Many are building platforms on these ungodly, bad fruits. What, what are the kind of fruits that we should be looking for? If that's some of the, okay, you see this and you know, uh-oh, this is a dangerous tree. This might be a wolf, even though it's claiming to be a sheep. What are some of the good fruits that we can look for? Okay, so talking about like looking at some of the relationships that they have, whether it's family relationships, marriages, those kind of things. What should we be looking for when we look at those relationships? Okay, is this person someone who is pouring out or is this someone who is taking? Are, are they giving or are they trying to get? Okay, somebody? Love, love. okay. Integrity. Integrity. What was it? Humility. Humility. Grace. Grace. Joy. Joy. Generosity. Kim had mentioned a minute ago the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We should be following people who the fruit that we see are the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Let's not overthink it here. It, what, this person that I'm following, are they gracious? Are they kind? Are they joyful? And listen, that doesn't mean they never have bad days or they never make mistakes, but are they trending in that direction? Are they pursuing the fruits of the Spirit? Am I seeing the things that the Scripture says a man or a woman of God should look like? Do I see that evidence in their life? Listen, if not, run. It's a wolf. Am I seeing transformation? They are being made new. They look more like Jesus now than they did when I first met them. Yeah. Like they, these are the things that the Holy Spirit does in the lives of his people. And if I'm not seeing that fruit in this person, doesn't mean they're a horrible person, but it means I shouldn't give them influence in my life. They may just still be immature. They may be, some people just have a natural gift to speak or to write or to whatever. They don't have the immaturity, or the, excuse me, the maturity to back it up. But because they're eloquent, people go, well, let's, let's get them on YouTube. Let's give them a podcast. Let's get them. And people start following because they know how to speak. But do they have the maturity to hold it? Are they showing as evidence the fruits of the Holy Spirit? If not, do not give that person influence in your life. So I think you know the answers to these, but let's just talk about them real quick. What about some fruits like these? We already mentioned this one a little bit, but ease, comfort. When you look at the fruits of maybe their ministry, the, the things that they're leading people towards, things should be easy, things should be comfortable. God just wants you to be happy, right? Wolf or sheep? Wolf. Listen, this feels harsh, but Jesus said it, not me. These are not the kinds of people that we should be following. What about popularity and fame? God wants you to have a bigger platform, a bigger following. Wolf. Jesus wasn't worried about any of that. Jesus, in fact, preached really difficult messages like the narrow gate and the difficult path. Who wants to follow me now? What about acceptance by the culture? Wolf, listen, if we're heading down the narrow gate, that means we're heading in a different direction than the culture, they will hate us. The, the, the last piece of the beatitude was, blessed are you when people persecute you in my name, Jesus said. When, when they persecute you, when they insult you, when they harm you because of my name, 
So to have some kind of, no, 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 it's okay. Everyone should love us and everyone should, they won't. Not because we're mean to them. Sometimes we get persecuted just because we're jerks. But when we're persecuted for loving the way Jesus has called us to love, we should expect that. Acceptance by the culture should never be our goal. The culture should know that we love them, and they may push back on it, but that is different. What about fruits of success? I mean, we live in America, right? Bigger, better, more, 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 right? Jesus' ministry was not successful. Shortly after this, thousands of people started following him, and Jesus turned and gave him a really difficult teaching. He goes, hey, by the way, now you want to follow me? Eat my flesh and drink my blood. They didn't know about communion yet, so they were like, I'm sorry, what? And it says literally thousands, everyone left them except for the disciples. Jesus was not after success, bigger and better. That's an American dream and not one that we're called to. These are things that we have to be aware of. We have to look at the fruit. But here's the thing. Fruit is difficult to judge from a distance. And right now, we live in a world where you can find any kind of teaching and preaching you want. It's on YouTube and podcasts and everywhere else. People, there are so many people saying, follow me, follow me, follow me but we can't actually see their lives. We can read their words and maybe like their words, but this is the reason why when a famous pastor falls to some kind of uh, moral failure, thousands of Christians fall away from the faith because they're like, but I had put my stock in him, and if he can't do it, then I'm out. They had given someone influence in their lives that, listen, they couldn't examine the fruit. They couldn't see that person with their spouse or with their kids or in their community. They just saw a stage persona and they got drawn in by it because they were so gifted and maybe even the things they were saying were good. But we, we all have so many opportunities to give someone influence that, listen, we will never be able to see the true fruit of their life. And when we find out that they're flawed, maybe they were wolves themselves, our faith is wounded because we chose to follow someone that we couldn't examine the fruit. So I'm asking us to walk a line here. I'm not saying listening to podcasts is wrong or online preaching or reading books. I do all of those things myself. But I have to be able to separate what is being said from who is saying it because I don't know the person on the other end, not personally. I can't examine their lives and so I have to be very careful how much weight I place on them. Does this make sense? Yeah, being aware of, like Kim is saying, not just the person, but also like what it is that's being put out there. Because listen, I have taught things that I was in error, and I had to come back a couple weeks later and go, hey, I said this, and after somebody came and talked to me, like, that wasn't right. Not because I was a wolf trying to, like, devour. I was just wrong. But there is also wisdom. And listen, I'm putting this out there for you guys, for you to... Decide how much influence I get in your life. Look at my fruit. And I'm not going to build a case for myself or whatever. You see me with my family. You see me in community. If you don't, come and talk to me. You'll find out. I'm not perfect by any stretch. Thankfully, like Kim said, it's not just this person's good and always good or this person's bad and always bad. I'm a flawed human being. 
But you need to decide for yourselves. You need to judge by the fruit of my life. Am I worth you giving influence to? Am I worth you listening to my words? Not Worth sounds weird because that sounds like, like I'm not valuable as a human being, but am I the right kind of person to lead you? You have to judge for yourselves. We all do when we go everywhere, and it's not, do I like the music? Do I like the... That'll take care of itself. Are the people who are leading me bearing the kind of fruit that matches up with Scripture? The kind of fruit I hope for my own life. If not, leave. Find someone else. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. I think we've talked about this, but I just want to make it very clear. Sometimes we read like the narrow gate and the wide path, and we think that only means to become a Christian or to hate Jesus, like that kind of thing. But listen, if that's all Jesus was talking about, is there's people standing at that initial fork in the road going, Jesus isn't the way. Jesus wants bad things for you. Listen, that's a wolf in wolf's clothing. We can see that person for what they are, right? They are anti-Christian, and it's easy for everyone to see. What Jesus is talking about is those along the narrow path, or at least mixed in with it, you know, those who are part of Christendom, those who are part of the church, but are seeking to devour, are seeking to use it for their own gains, to, to twist people, whatever it may be. And this sounds harsh. We're going, certainly nobody would do that, right? History would tell us differently, and so would the scripture. There are wolves in sheep's clothing. A lot of people who try to paint Jesus' name over the easy road and tell people, man, this path is hard. Why don't we get off? Come with me. I'll show you an easier way. I I think that there is, if this helps you in thinking at all, when we come to a decision to follow Jesus, narrow gate, wide gate, but along the narrow path, there are deep ditches on both sides that shipwreck many. Two, that probably the most prevalent The first is license. People who will come and in Jesus' name teach everything should be easy. Don't worry, there's grace. God will forgive you anyway. Don't sweat it. Do whatever it is you want to do. God is gracious. God just wants you to be happy. Again, you already signed the card. You already went into the baptismal, whatever it might be. Now, like... You've kind of got your fire insurance in your back pocket, so one day when you get to heaven, you get to pull out that baptism card and go, let me in, please. Don't worry about anything until then. This is a a prevalent teaching. God only wants good things for you. He wants you to be rich and fat and happy. Actually, rich with a six-pack and happy. This is license. And it is a ditch on the side of the narrow road that many are wooed into. Because the road is difficult, and maybe they weren't expecting it. And they kind of just want to get off. And so let's go over here where this person is telling me it's okay to just live in ease and comfort. Don't worry about death to self. God is a good God, and he wouldn't want that for you, right? On the other side of the road, you have the ditch of legalism that says, okay, So Jesus did say it's going to be difficult. Therefore, the more difficult, the better. Jesus said the standard is here. Let's take it up a notch just to be safe. Let's let's make this whole thing about everything you do or don't do. Forget where your heart was in it. It's about legalism, the law. Did you fulfill every letter of the law? And here's the, the insidious part of this. At the heart of legalism is pure and simple judgment. Because I always put myself on the right side of the law. I always give myself a little bit of grace and excuse. Yeah, I didn't do it perfectly, but I know. I was in a a tough situation. But you, you didn't do it like we said. You didn't. And people are shipwrecked because all of a sudden, our eyes are taken off of Jesus and put on to do's and don'ts, rights and wrongs, But how many times did you show up? What was your attendance record like? I don't think when I stand before Jesus, he is going to ask me how many Sundays I was in church. I really don't. I think he's going to ask me, did I love him? Did I pursue him? Did I seek to become like him? Those are the kinds of questions we're going to have. And listen, those are not legalistic 
questions. But these are the ditches on the side of the road that so many Christians fall into and get shipwrecked, either license or legalism. So Jesus goes on then to say, this is hard teaching. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and drive out demons in your name and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. If there is anything in scripture that will cause me to break down, it is this passage. The thought of those who thought they were on the narrow road and they finally get to the end and what they hear is, depart from me, I didn't know you. No, 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 but Jesus, look at all the stuff we did. Look at all the things that we saw. Like we saw some power encounters in your name. And listen, I don't think that these are bad people who were doing bad things. There's nothing that they list there that is bad, right? We, we, did, we did the same things we saw you do, Jesus. They might even go back to, to Matthew 25. There's a story of the sheep and the goats where Jesus said one day in the end, the day of judgment, people will be divided, sheep and goats. And he says, on the goat side, Jesus is gonna say, I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me something to drink. And he goes on this list. But then to the sheep, he's gonna say, like you did the work of the kingdom. I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me and I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you cared for me. I was imprisoned and you visited me. And these people might do that same thing and they go, but Jesus, but look at what we did. We, we fed the poor in Elkins. You have to let us in, right? We did good things. These are well-meaning people doing good works, listen, but missing what is most important. Obedience is meant to come from knowing him, not as a way of like earning your way to him. My heart breaks the other way too of people who are just like, man, I showed up at church every Sunday and I sang the songs. Well, did you help anyone? Did you feed anyone? Did you? No. He doesn't say that's gonna go well either. But for those who do these things but have missed what's most important, Standing before the Lord, look at what their defense was. But Jesus, look at all we've done. When I stand before the Lord, I hope he doesn't bring up what I've done because it's not going to go well. I have done way more evil than I have good. I have not lived up to the standard to think I would stand before him and go, but look at what I've done, Jesus. I'm just going to say thank you for letting me even be here. Matthew 22, an expert of the law coming and questioning Jesus. And he says this to him, teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? He said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourselves. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. It was twofold. It was love your neighbors, care for your neighbors, feed the hungry, take care of the sick, set the oppressed free, like the, those that came and said, Lord, Lord, have done. But if we miss that first part, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, there is no list of things that we have done and seen that can matter. These people went and they did these amazing, even miraculous things in the name of Jesus, but listen, all that proves is that the name of Jesus has power. I, I have seen it where God has worked in miraculous ways through people that I go, what? Through them? You find out things later. And I have been ministered to deeply by someone who I found out later was in the midst of an adulterous relationship. And I go, God, shouldn't they have been disqualified? Why would you use them? And I think there's times when God goes, I wanted you to be free so bad, I would even use them. These people that will come and say, Lord, Lord, look at all that we've done. And look at Jesus' rebuke to them. He says, I never knew you. He doesn't say, no, you didn't. He doesn't say, but you didn't do enough. He says, but I never knew you. You didn't have relationship 
with me. And so depart from me. Some will, will never get on the narrow road. They will always, they just take the wide path, the wide gate with all the people on it, and they will find for themselves destruction at the end of it. Some will enter through the gate and be led astray by wolves. And some upon reaching the finish line, believing that they took the right path, will find out that they missed it. And with so many pitfalls along the way, how can we ever manage to find our way? It can, it can start to seem a little hopeless. The, even if we make it, the path is difficult, but there's, there's wolves surrounding it, and there's all kinds of chances to, to jump off the path anyway. How could we ever find our way? And I don't think we're alone in asking this question. In, in John chapter 14, Jesus is telling his disciples that he's going to be leaving. He's trying to prepare their hearts for one day, you're not going to see me anymore. I'm not going to be here walking with you. And they were kind of rightly panicked. Like, what? What does that mean? What are we going to do? And so Jesus tells them this in John 14. Your heart must not be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If not, I would have told you. And I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and receive you to myself so that where I am, you may also be. You know the way to where I am going. Lord, Thomas said, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Thomas gets a bad rap, doubting Thomas. Thomas asks the questions we would all ask if we were there. Let's be honest. Jesus is talking about, I'm going to, to prepare a heavenly place for you, but don't worry, you guys know the way. And Thomas is like, what? We don't even know what the destination is. How would we ever know the way to get there? And here's Jesus' response. Jesus told him, I am the way. The truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But Jesus, like, it's going to be hard, and you're not going to be right here to tell us, do we do this or do we do that? How do we ever know the way? And Jesus said, you know the way because you know me. I am the way. Jesus is not only the goal, the, the destination that the path is leading towards. He's not only a guide for us along the path. Psalm 119 says he's a lamp for our feet and a light on our path. But he is in fact the narrow road itself. To walk the narrow road is to seek after Jesus. There's going to be times when you make a wrong turn. There's going to be times when you fall on your face. But I think the only question that we will be asked is, did you seek me? Did you love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? Did you come after me? Because if so, he can forgive us a whole lot of mistakes, a whole lot of sin, a whole lot of misdirection. Because again, the kingdom is a kingdom of our heart. Was your heart dedicated to me? This wasn't about like, did you ever take a misstep? He says, I am the way. Did you keep pursuing me? Again, let's read it in context. Back to what we talked about two weeks ago. Ask, seek, knock. Why? Because you have a good father waiting to answer, waiting to be found, waiting to open the door and invite you in. Continue to seek after him, and you already have found the way. That's what's at stake here. With that, he will lead us to things that we have to sacrifice. He will lead us to points of difficult obedience, but all because we're seeking after him. Not because it, oh, is it left or is it right? Lord, make me more like you. Help me to walk the path. It's dark and it's difficult, would you be with me in the midst of this? So often we ask for direction or we seek the right way to go. Listen, that is settling. Lord, is it, is it this way or that way? I think a better question is, Lord, where are you moving and how do I walk towards you? Lord, where are you leading me? Not because I just want to get this right, but because I don't want to miss you in this. 
You are the way, the truth, and the life. Seek deeper relationship with Jesus. Seek to become more like him. Seek to love others as he has loved us. Seek to think and to act like him. And listen, you will find your way along the narrow road. If that is the the posture of your heart, I want to know you more, Jesus. I want to become like you. I want to love like you loved. I want to think and act like you think and act. Listen, you have found the narrow road. And it will be difficult. He will lead you to things that are hard. But you don't need to wonder, did I miss it? That is the narrow road. To seek after him. To know him more deeply and to become like him more. Day in and day out. That is what it is to walk the narrow road. Let's pray. Lord Jesus. It is not an easy road to walk. There are difficulties along the way. Some I add myself through my own sin and selfishness. Some because it's just plain hard to die to myself. But Lord, you promise that you will walk every step with us, that you are a good father who provides everything we need. May we be a people who just seek hard after you who are willing to follow you into the unknown because if you're there, then that's where I want to be. Lord, if some of us have, have taken our eyes off of that and we're doing Christianity, but for some other reason, Lord, would you make that clear to us? Would you convict us not to harm us, but for our own good to save us that we might not get caught wandering off the path, following a wolf in sheep's clothing, taking the easy way simply because we're tired. May we turn to you and may we find strength and peace, refreshment, guidance, everything that is needed. May we continue to ask, seek, and knock because we know we have a good father who waits to be found, who walks with us along the path. May we put our hope fully in you, Lord Jesus, I pray. In your name, amen.